to another episode of Trans Regret Snoopy Presents the Bible. I have Tom Sexton here with me today, and I'm really excited to speak with him about James 5. Uh, James is quickly becoming one of my favorite books in the Bible, and uh, this is actually Tom's choice, and um, and I'm really, really stoked about it. Welcome, Tom. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, before we dive into a little context for this book, why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself and how faith plays a part in your life? Um, so I, um, I grew up in the, the uh, mountains of Eastern Kentucky, a little town called Whitesburg. Um, I grew up, um, Pentecostal. We, we, uh, went to, um, Pentecostal church, uh, church of God started out at church of God and then kind of went, started going to a sort of that, ad hoc non-denominational church with like some Pentecostal leanings, I would say, you know, we believed in the laying on of hands for faith healing and all that kind of thing, speaking in tongues, you know, running the aisles, music was great. Uh, Even if you're not into the, you know, all the uh, trappings of getting the Holy Ghost. Um, But I I think to, you know, today, um, it's funny because I, I, and you know, in recent years, I guess as any person on the left that kind of with a faith background that's sort of interested in exploring that a little bit further, I think um, you sort of look into like, you know, the liberation theologies and you try to sort of um, square your politics with, you know, any sort of, uh, you know, faith um, thing that you're wrestling with or trying to, to make sense of. And, uh, I think um, for me, people like uh, Cornel West and, and other people have uh, kind of brought that home for me a little bit in recent years. I, um, I, it, it, you know, it's it's kind of funny because I think, um, you know, I, growing up, I was just taught that, you know, you got to just write, say the right combination of words and just like not cuss and you're going to be okay. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like that's, that's what I thought was like the extent of like living a good Christian life was. And, and, uh, I think that, um, there's just, for me, I think that there's just such a, a, a richness and tradition there that, uh, you know, no matter how sort of distant I feel from God or the church or whatever, it's like, I could get into these scriptures and, and, uh, it's just so moving to me and just sort of, you know, I was reading the other day uh, just the first book of Revelation, and I I love that line. Anytime I'm depressed, I go to that line in the first book of Revelation where, you know, it's the words in red, and it says, you know, I'm he that lived and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And, like, God, it's still, you know, even, like, I've... I've <laughs> Even no matter how much of a reprobate mind I've been turned over to, it still just like makes the hair stand up on my arms and really, uh, you know, um, I, I don't know. It's just so, 
still so moving to me, you know, even all these years later. And, and I'm not a super uh, religious or spirit. I mean, I don't go to church anymore or anything like that, although I'm, I'm not uh, against that. I just haven't really found anything that um, I think I would enjoy being a regular congregate in. Um, but I mean, I, I, I do still believe and, and, and I think, um, yeah, it's a really rambly long worded way of, of answering that question, I guess. <laughs> it's the joke, the running joke kind of has been that like, that is the most loaded question that you can possibly ask anybody, especially, <laughs> especially people that are running in the sorts of circles that I think I run in and I think you run in and, and this is, you know, a world that doesn't value people having really any faith at all in anything, but like, um, you know, your, your social identity or your, um, your status as like a, as like a, a wealth generator or a wealth gatherer. And, um, and, and we like worship so many things, but for some reason being, a Christian or even just being uh, religious in any way and like believing in God in any capacity or believing in the afterlife in any capacity is now uh, suddenly laughable to some people or, or it's like, um, or it's offensive to some people, which is even worse because it's like, we're talking about like universal love and respect and admiration and support. And um, like the real message of the Bible, if you lay it all out, is like all will be comforted, all will be loved, all will be healed with the cooperation of all people, right? If we can get together on this, like it will be better for everyone and we will all see whatever the eternity that we're picturing is looks like. We'll all see it. Um, And for some reason, we can picture utopias that are like that are generated by our political beliefs. We can picture those so much easier than we can picture like an eternal life in a realm we know nothing about that we can't even fathom. I, I think you. I think you're right. Where where it concerns like people more or less our age and in our like sort of cultural milieu. I think if I were to go back home, it would be the exact opposite. I think people because I mean a common refrain you hear of people is like when you're talking about like breaking some sort of collective action politically forward and all that kind of stuff, we kind of go to this, or at least, you know, where I'm from, uh, I don't presume to speak for everybody, but there is this like, um, well, you know, my, I've got a home, I've got a mansion for me and riches stored up in heaven. And like, that's like my ultimate thing. And it's like the gospel though, and what Jesus taught is very much, I mean, I mean, like how often does he say the kingdom of God on earth? You know what I mean? He's more concerned, I think, with our engagement with other people, you know, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. You know, you've been transformed from death into life because you have love for your brother, you know? And I think, I think, I think you're right. I think, um, for I think for us, for like you, we we can like yeah we can see those utopias. We can see like you know if we could just you know whatever if you know Bernie got elected and we got Medicare for all <laughs> or like on the other end of things like you know if we had some sort of uh, you know communist revolution and everything <laughs> would just be you know like great. But yeah, there's like a discounting of uh, the spiritual. I think in, in in some of that and. and 
you know, I'm not necessarily saying like people like have to be religious or have to be Christians or have to be anything like that. But I, I wonder where the source of your hope is. Like, I, I like, I, and I understand that doesn't have to be in like a spiritual thing or that doesn't have to be in any sort of religion or a deity or anything like that. But there is sometimes I think on the left, or at least this has been my experience and like sort of my engagement with it over the last couple of years, there does seem to be like a, in, in some circles i think there's like this sort of just a lack of like love and compassion and these kinds of things that we kind of that i that i think are, are kind of necessary if we're going to you know bring that kingdom of god on earth that scriptures mentions you know i think um james does james is this is okay let's just let's just pivot into the book right because this okay. is we're already yeah. we're talking we're we're already yeah, there yeah, yeah. we just got there we brought ourselves there yeah um uh, for context, uh, for people who are listening, James is the brother of Jesus or the half brother of Jesus, as it were, being Jesus being the son of God and the son of Mary. Uh, James is the son of Joseph and Mary. So um, either way, James was raised with Jesus. He grew up with him. He understands him, I think, better than anyone uh, would in his unique scenario, being a follower and being family, he has a perspective on the message of Jesus, I think better than anybody else. Um, the fact that I, I want so much more out of this, this book, I want James to be uh, as long as Romans. I want James to be as yeah. long as Psalms. I want so yeah. much more from the brother of <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Um, but we get five chapters. That's it. Um, and it's a little, it's a little sad because he, uh, he elucidates, um, the message, the gospel very clearly, uh, and, and turns it into almost like, um, he pivots back to kind of an old Testament style wisdom literature with how he's interpreting the gospel and how he's relaying it to like Jewish followers or any followers, I guess, at that time of, yeah. of Jesus. Um, it's important to note that a lot of people that will talk about James will actually refer to him as Jacob because his Greek name and the, the way his name and in Greek and Hebrew is spelled, it's actually closer to the translation of Jacob, not to James. I'm not sure why it was that they landed on James, but they landed on James. So I'm going to keep calling him James. It's too confusing yeah. for me to jump between Jacob and James. Yeah. Um, but uh, this is a letter that James wrote and sent out that is not really a direct letter to anyone. Most of Paul's letters are to a specific church or a specific person encouraging or speaking on a certain point. Uh, James is basically just saying, here's my whole deal. Here's how I feel about all of this. Here's what I think. And here's why I think that it lines up with what we've been taught, not just from the scriptures of the Old Testament, but also from the teachings of Jesus. In five, it gets pretty intense. I mean, the whole thing has a lot of really strong language, right? Yeah. Um, uh, he calls everyone out, every single person he calls out. Like, even if you are a follower, even if you think that you believe, even if you think that you are not sinning, you are a liar, you're greedy, uh, you're duplicitous, you are um, always failing. 
And, and that's what <laughs> the reality of that is so true. And I love that he just says it and like, that's okay. Because guess yeah. what? You can do better every single time. You can continue to improve yourself every, t- every single time. And it's through the grace of God that you improve yourself. Um, you, we, as people on our own, have no interest in bettering ourselves. There is something within us from a spiritual standpoint that like says, Hey, knock that shit off. Like, don't, don't self-destruct all the time. Don't do these things that, that ruin your body. Don't do these things that ruin your mind. And when you can't correct yourself, I mean, it's really scary, right? When you can't turn back and go, I mean, you know, I need to, I need to drink less or I shouldn't have taken those pills last night or I (laughs) I shouldn't have slept with her. Like, well, (laughs) that was foolish. Um, when it just becomes a, like a downward spiral is like, it's literally a downward spiral. Someone is pulling you down. Right. And I'm not, I'm not like a hellfire and brimstone person. I've been pretty open about that on the show. And, um, I really truly believe that it's like, you don't have to necessarily be a Christian to be saved, but, um, it is so much easier to, uh, want to do good when you are informed by these teachings. Um, it's so much easier to correct yourself in that way when you can read through it. So why don't you tell me, why did you pick this? So uh, like I was telling you kind of before we started, I didn't really have a lot of familiarity with James. It's just kind of a gap in my knowledge. And my friend Lee Baines, who is a dear friend of mine from Alabama, had sent that to me one day. And we had kind of an informal back and forth about Bible stuff from time to time. Not like a real study or anything, but just, you know, hey, I was reading this and found this to be interesting. And that line in five, where like, I think the to really get the full impact of it, I really like the New Living Translation. Oh, really? Which says, yeah, that, which says, uh, you spent your years on earth. I mean, we'll get to this, obviously, but mm. you spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You fattened yourself for the day of the slaughter, <laughs> which is like <laughs> such a, it's like, you know, it's like, it's got a strong, uh, you know, and I'm not, one, I'm not one of these, these people, not because I don't think, you know, uh, Jeff Bezos is the, you know, Worst guy coming and going or anything like that, but I'm just not like a a guillotine, you know, tweeter type type person. <laughs> but it's be like if, that, I think. if that's your thing, <laughs> there's you know that's got kind of that vibe to it, you know. So. The um the warning to the rich, and this is this is a perfect time. We'll just we'll just start reading it. I usually use the ESV. Do you have a preferred translation of the Bible? Is it the no, New no, Living no, Translation? No, I just I just I just I just came across that on Bible Gateway. I was like, wait. The one he sent me said fatten themselves for the day of the slaughter. What is that? <laughs> and then I found it. Yes, what's that? But no, nah, I don't care. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually, yeah, when we get to that line, I'm gonna pull the other translations that I have in front of me right now because I'm I'm really interested. That particular language is very um brutal. Yeah. So um so uh James five, the header in the ESV is warning to the rich. It's getting good already. Yeah. Uh Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. 
you have laid up treasure in the last days. That's only three verses, but we have to stop, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's going in already. Holy cow. Okay. So the warning is um, to, to those that have, have been hoarding wealth, which is something that I, I imagine was an issue at this time, but I don't think at any point in this, the writing of these scriptures did they imagine how bad it would actually get with the disparity between the wealthy and the poor, like, yeah. and, and, and how concentrated it would really be. I mean, again, it's, it's bad. I think in general practice to like project people from scripture onto people in modernity, but like, uh, Bezos is like, Bezos is like, he's like Caesar, right? The guy is, he is, he has more money than anyone. He can do anything. He just went up to space. I mean, this is, this is like a supernaturally rich person. Right. And, and this isn't even who James is talking about. James is talking about like landlords. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. He's talk- well. It's 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 funny because if yeah, I mean, and I know we'll get to it, but it's like I'm glad you said the landlord thing because, like, you know, with all this stuff going around all over the country about like all these small business owners just saying, you know, we can't get anybody to work because you know, if, you know, they'd rather just stay at home and da 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 da. Like James has a pretty stern rebuke for. Uh, People like that that would uh, not pay people well. Well, that is, um, yeah, well, let's go there because this is this is another odd one. Um, at verse four, it says, Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your field, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. I, I mean, really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the, um, the last episode that I released, and I, it's um, Tuesday today. I just released it this morning. was about Micah 7. And Micah was like a working class minor prophet. Working class is not really relevant. That's not, that's not the right way to describe it. He was like, he was um, of the lower classes of people. A lot of the prophets were actually already kind of elevated in society. So people were- like Luke, Luke was a doctor, right? And naturally people were going to listen to yeah. what they had to say more. Right. But Micah like clawed and scratched for people. And, and I guess I heard that he preached uh, or prophesied naked which is also very funny to think about, but like he really, I mean, to get the command of people's um, attention, he had to fight a lot harder and be a lot scarier. And so a lot of his language is similarly um, threatening towards the rich or threatening towards people who wield their power, their stance in society in a way that, that is of the detriment to the people below them yeah. in society. Yeah. And, and I hate saying below and above, but like, this is literally, this is the only language that we really have here. I mean, someone who's more powerful or less powerful. Um, the, uh, the bit about defrauding workers from wages, I I was trying to imagine like what, what it was that people were doing, employers were doing then to defraud workers of wages. Did you have any sense of like what, what actually that might look like? I, I I don't know. I was thinking about it in the context of like other 
scriptures. And I guess, um, you know, I, I don't really know. I, I, I think of like, it's not really an example, but it's more of an example of, I guess, sort of that attitude is when, uh, it's when Lazarus is masters in hell. Right. And he says to him to, to bring him a, just a, uh, just if he could just touch his tongue with a drop of water and like what the what the scripture's really saying is that like even though this guy's in hell he still thinks he could tell Lazarus not the Lazarus that rose from the dead mm-hmm. but a different Lazarus he still thinks he could tell Lazarus to like wait on him hand and foot <laughs> it's like this this sort of like audacity of it and it's not that's I mean, that's not an example of like cheating somebody of their wages or anything like that. But it's like time and time again in the scripture, there is this sort of, uh, you know, this allusion to, uh, you know, the powerful and and the ways in which they're, you know, extorting, you know, the people that, you know, are, are from the lower classes. It's an entitlement thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I, I think it's like I, I guess I can picture maybe in some way there, there's all these kind of like arguments between working people in like when um the parable of the workers where uh the the person pays everyone who shows up to work the same regardless of whether they show up at uh you know 9 a.m or 2 p.m or 6 p.m they all get the same wage i always thought that was a really funny parable because it was kind of pitting people who were already put upon against each other yeah um and there isn't a lot that jesus says specifically about um, how people in positions like employers ought to treat each other other than like, be kind, be loving, be fair, um, be good. Uh, right. Not specifically, there's no rule book for that sort of thing. So All right. I do still wonder, like there, maybe there were practices specifically that James is referring to that I like, I don't really know about or how they might've cheated people in, in modern times. It's like, you know, shaving hours off people's time people's time clocks or not providing benefits or, or not doing things like that. But that line kind of stuck out to me because it's like, well, yeah, obviously they should be paid more at its heart. I think maybe that's what he's saying is that uh, you have, you've padded your, the walls of your home with money while the people who work for you are scraping by. And in that way is, is how you stole from them. Uh, they, They deserve better. Yeah, what's I'm I'm still stuck on the New Living Translation, but I saw something. Maybe it was just in the old KJV. This same. Let me pull that up real quick and see if not to derail the. No, it's okay. We were going to look at um, the end of verse five too. I'm going to pull that up with the voice. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's like okay. It's like back and forth. Like the King James says, "Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your field." So it's it's almost like. You know, echo, well, not echoes, I guess, but probably just foreshadowing of, you know, marks when you're talking about, uh, you know, like, you know, labor is entitled to all it creates. You know what I mean? It's like, there's like a little allusion to like, they've done all the work and yet they've got a pittance of, mm-hmm. from you, you know? Uh, anyway. I think the warning, the warning is like, it's specifically that the, the money that you're hoarding, the, the, the wealth that you've gained will mean literally nothing at the end of your life. It's actually going to be, uh, <laughs> marked actually, against you. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's 
the money that you continue to hoard, the money that you will die with, the money in your bank account that you aren't giving away to people that need it more than you is actually going to be evidence against you when you are judged at the end yeah. of your life. Yeah. Uh, something that people should hear more often because like, granted, like I know that I don't, I don't give as much as I should. I think I should definitely give more. I mean, I don't, I don't have an extremely comfortable life, but I have a comfortable life. No. But it is something that I think about when, when I hear about someone's net worth being in the billions or the tens of billions. And I go, how could you just sit on that money? I can understand to a certain point, but. Your children's 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 children can't spend that. No. Can't spend Bezos. You know what I mean? They'd be spending all day. Yeah. And they would never be able to use it all. No, no, it's yeah. If, 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 um, yeah, if the God of the Bible is, is real and he's sitting on the throne and on the day of judgment, a guy like Jeff Bezos, it's, yeah, it's, I don't know how you, what would your argument even be? You know, <laughs> like, but I wanted to go to space. Yeah, but I wanted to go to space in the dick shit, man. You know, I wanted to. It's just, yeah, it's ridiculous. I know it's not Christian of me to wish ill upon someone in that way. You have to pray for your enemies, just like you pray for for your loved ones. But I kind of wish Jesus would come back right now. Like, I feel like this would be a really good time to look around and go. Well, this is fucked up. This yeah. did not go how I wanted. Yeah, this it is to. not. This is not. Uh, it's not what we had in mind. <laughs> it's you know. It's it's funny. I you know. I was talking. I grew up in Pentecostal church, and I, um, with that, you know, Pentecostalism is fairly new denomination. You know, really. I mean, you know, the day of Pentecost, you know, was laid out in Acts. Is kind of what it's based around. But it really kind of kicked off in at least in this country, in the early 20th century, the Azusa Street Revival in Los Angeles of all places, which is funny because you kind of consider Pentecostalism sort of a poor man's like backcountry, you know, sort of denomination. And it, it's like Los Angeles. Yeah, right. Really I'm, picturing, like, I'm picturing the South and the East, you know, like right. that's that's it. I, I don't think about Los Angeles. That's interesting. Right. And, uh, you know, it's it's funny, like, yeah, when I was growing up in the church, like, for example, if my if my mom my, my mom had like a lot of health issues when when I was a kid, and like, um, she uh, I think out of some sort of some combination of just desperation, wanting to get well, and you know, um, and still wanting to go to church when she wasn't physically able to, she would watch people like Oral Roberts and you know like the Faith Healer guys you know, TV preachers and all that kind of stuff, all who taught, you know, the, the much talked about prosperity gospel, which is like, just, and I, you know, it's like, as a young man, if I would have ran up on James, like you always hear about like, you know, the story of Jesus and the rich young ruler and the eye, the camel through the eye of a needle, then the rich man getting into heaven. But like, you could kind of like wiggle around that a little bit. Well, maybe it's just hard because like, most rich people don't want to give up their wealth, but like it's not necessarily wrong to be rich. And then James is just saying, like, nah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> every every penny, every yeah. penny that you don't give away that you that you don't need 
is going to be evidence against you at your judgment. I mean, that's this. It's so funny that you mentioned that because I was listening to. I always listen to a few different sermons from different churches and to try to gather like different opinions across the sort of Christian spectrum of how do different churches kind of interpret this whole thing. And I heard one from a very large um, megachurch group uh, chain. I want to say chain like it's a restaurant, but that's not quite right. No, that's kind of right. (laughs) And the message was, I mean, ultimately, I think it was scriptural in like that the focus is you should give more. But the, Mm. the pastor kept saying, but it's not wrong for you to have money. If you can, it's, it's what's wrong is for you to live beyond your means. What's wrong is it's wrong for you to, to have more than you need, but it's not wrong for you to have money. If you have the money to buy a, this was literally one of the lines that, that I I think I heard was if you, if you have the money for a Lamborghini, you can buy a Lamborghini, but you also need to be giving to the people that need. Yeah. It's like, it's like, if, as long as you paid your tithes, you can buy whatever you want, you know, or whatever. Yeah. I've heard stuff like that too. It's, 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 yeah, it's fascinating. And like, again, like a lot of the, that's kind of in line with like what a lot of these TV preachers I would grow up listening to were saying, like, God wants you to be rich because like, just look at his description of heaven. It's like walls of Jasper, streets of gold. Of course he would want you to like have all this gaudy wealth and the, you know, and the like (laughs) the here and now. And it's like, uh, you might be missing the point, dude. You might not be really fully getting what they're saying here is that through your faith and through the good that you do here, through your, you know, your love of others and through your worship of God, that's how you wind up in a place where the streets are made of gold. Not The streets aren't going to be made of gold here. There's shit everywhere in my city. There are needles lying all over the place. Okay. (laughs) Like that's not, that's not what this world is ever going to look like. It's fallen. It's fallen. It's going to be fallen. So like do what you can here so that in turn, you can be prosperous in the afterlife. Don't build a, you know, don't build a, 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 a fortress of your own here. That's going to doom you. Yeah. But I feel like also that is played out in so many cases where these megachurch pastors like are spectacularly taken down, uh, where it's exposed that they are doing just horrible things to people or yeah. they're just bad people. They're abusive or they're manipulating or they're embezzling even worse. Like they're stealing money from the church. Yeah. You see that and you go, see? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you ever hear about um what's the guy's name i think it's carlton pearson no he was a guy that he came up i think he came up under like the whole oral roberts family of of preachers and he was kind of a prosperity guy for the longest time and he broke from that and i think his like his uh i mean he suffered like a a lot from that because he was supposed to be like the heir apparent to like, you know, whatever. I think it was Oral Roberts. It might've been Billy Graham who I forget now, but it's like whoever like the big preacher was that like kind of sort of reared him. And then like, he sort of made waves when he like questioned the, like whether hell was real or not. Yeah. There was another guy. I think, uh, 
I think it was his name, like Rob Bell or something like that, that wrote. He was like a mega church pastor that wrote a book about questioning whether hell was real or not, too, around the same time. But I think Pearson was the first. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting. There's cases of people that sort of broke from that. That so I don't know what you would call that. Uh, that bastardization. Yeah, right. Uh, it is. It, that's exactly yeah, yeah. what it is. It's 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 yeah. a perversion of of the gospel. It's a it's like um, how how many times do you see it shown that like when someone is in need, you give to them. When someone yeah. is thirsty, they need a drink. Uh, and, and how many people are hungry and thirsty right now? How many people don't have places to sleep? Like how much, how many more examples of this do you actually need in here? But I mean, uh, modern Christianity is excellent at ignoring parts of the Bible. And, and this is on every side of the political spectrum, right? We have to confront on its, on its face, the, the way that the Bible, um, instructs us how to be and how to act. And there's a lot of things that pretty much just won't fly in our society. If you lived strictly according to old and new Testament teaching, you'd be a very different person. Yeah. We would all be very different people. Yeah. You'd have to kind of contort yourself in certain instances, <laughs> but, but yes, <laughs> it would be a very different existence for sure. You know, it'd be easier if, if there was, if I wasn't on Twitter and I, I wasn't even on the internet and I, I had no contact with technology. It's like basically I'm making the argument for being Amish right now, which is not <laughs> something that I actually want to do. <laughs> but it would be. I mean, this is the, the, like I was saying before, the society that we live in encourages people to behave in a way that is um, terrible. We, yeah. <laughs> we are not good to each other at all. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like we be, I think yeah, you're right. I think we believe things in the abstract, right? I think we believe uh that you know, we should give money and we should um you know, um put roofs over people's head. That's a very topical thing right now with the, you know, the, the eviction moratorium. Everybody's sort of like abdicating their responsibility in government where that's concerned. But like we don't really like we don't really believe it, though. You know what I mean? Like, we say we believe things, but, like, our actions are not in line with what we say we, we believe all the time. And uh, and I get that you, I mean, you can't do everything, obviously, but, like, we could do much better than what, what, what we are doing. The church could do much better than, than, than even what it does, you know, uh, I was listening to this podcast that I was talking about um, the Catholic Church in Cuba during Batista and how, like, you know, like, and you've heard this refrain before that, like, you know, like from certain politicians of a certain persuasion that, like, well, the church and charity and that kind of stuff will, like, shore up anything that, like, the government can't do for its poor and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, well, let's call it what it is. It's like, that even a well-intentioned church can't doesn't have the means or the resources that you know a, a state has, but also too it's like they fail so often. Like the person that in the, the podcast in Cuba I was talking about was, was, you know, like it was suggested that the Catholic Church was going to like you know like 
take care of homelessness on the island and all this kind of stuff. And it just failed miserably. And then, like, when Castro took over, that, like, improved drastically. So, like, I mean, I think there's there's a, a sort of critique of the church and, like, the church's own commitment to charity and all these things that, that in a lot of cases, I think, uh, particularly in this country, right, with, like, mega churches and celebrity pastors and all this kind of thing. Like, you know, it was the, I guess the example of Joel Osteen during the hurricane in Houston where he was like, eh, I got to close our doors. Good luck. <laughs> you know? And then he got, you know, sort of lambasted for it and then kind of reversed course on that. But like, yeah, time and again, even like church structures, you know, just, just punt on this stuff too. So. Uh, as someone who's like, um, Catholic leaning. I haven't really, I'm, I'm not particularly denominational at this point, like personally, but I, I, I see the way that the Catholic church has built the Roman Catholic church specifically. This is not in reference to Orthodox churches or non, uh, non Roman Catholic churches, but the Roman Catholic church has created an infrastructure that if really truly played out in the way that it should or could, could make a massive impact in every city that it is in. I mean, it's this is a huge church with resources beyond any other. And it still feels like the robes are lined with gold. And, yeah. and you know, I love a beautiful chapel. I love a church that has beautiful stained glass and a huge pipe organ. And, and just the majesty of a Catholic church is incredible. But you do sometimes see all this splendor and you go, why isn't this money going towards the people that are like uh, having overdoses on on the street five blocks down? Like this is it's it's a conflict to me because it's like something that while I appreciate this aspect of it, I also see that this might be. Uh, difficult for some people to fathom when the Catholic, you know, as Catholic as a little C word is specifically referring to like giving and, and, and being charitable. I I know that the Catholic church does a lot, but it frustrates me a little bit to see that like, we don't, you don't need everything to be gold. Okay. Yeah. It's just not necessary. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Take it, tone down the, well, it's, you know, it's, I think it's not just the Catholics, although the Catholics, uh, I guess you have a certain presentation and, 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 you know, and commitment to sort of ritual and ceremony that, you know, that's what I like about it. I love the ceremony. I love the ritual. It just seems a little indulgent at times. Right. Totally. Totally. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's, I, you know, it's, I mean, it's the same even in Protestantism. It's like, um, and, and, you know, this is not every church, obviously, but it's like, you know, you walk into these big churches nowadays, which is like, if you move to a city, that's like, you're just picking from a veritable who's who of like gaudy, weird American techno religion <laughs> churches. You know, you walk in there, you see two ATM machines where you see a cross, you know, and it's like... <laughs> It's like, what are we doing here, <laughs> you know? One of the larger churches in Portland is pastored by a guy who literally dresses like Steve Jobs when he when he gives his sermons. And it's, it's like... The black turtleneck and the bad... 
right? Exactly. Yeah. So I know Catholics are not alone in this. And I, I should dial back my language a little bit. I, I might've been unfair to the Catholic church, but yeah, no, it's <laughs> to the Pentecostals credit. You can just pit, pick up a, you pitch a tent somewhere, right? You just find it's true. It's true. We are a low maintenance, <laughs> if nothing else, you know, so just need some guitars and organ that's all you need that's right that's right oh wow okay so we've straight off course here let's get back to the text (laughs) no no it's my fault i i am yeah uh so was there anything else before we switch to patience and suffering because he um james does this a lot in the book he'll pivot to like what is what feels like a completely different topic um in in his chapters uh, do you want to address anything else in this morning to the rich? Cause we, we hit it pretty hard, but I'm not sure if we skipped over anything that we, Oh, I wanted to read, sorry, <laughs> scatterbrain. I wanted to read the voices version of that particular passage we were talking about because okay. in true, yeah. the voice fashion, they word it really beautifully. I love it. So at five, five, it says your life on earth has been one of luxury, pleasure, and endless consumption. You have feasted to your heart's content on animals you slaughtered, but now the day of slaughter comes for you. <laughs> that's, that's running neck and neck, but fattening yourself for the day of the slaughter is like the better, you know, the more bite on it. <laughs> right. They just turn, they turn it a little bit like, well, you've, you've been getting fat off of these animals that you slaughtered, but guess what? Now you're going to be the one yeah. that's getting yeah. slaughtered. Love that. Love that. Okay, so let's go to verse 7 then. Uh, Patience in suffering. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophet who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we considered those blessed who have remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You know, it's interesting when we were talking about what we would talk about during this. I, I hadn't really moved past like five or six in this chapter. And I didn't, I wasn't aware that, you know, I was telling you, like, maybe we should talk about Job. And then we settled on this, but I didn't know there was an allusion to Job until you just told me earlier. I didn't. It's perfect. Yeah. When I hit that, I was like, oh, we were going to talk about Job. That's that's great. Um, Job was steadfast, right, in his love for the Lord. Most of us, when tested to the extent that Job was tested, would be broken, spiritually unable to continue. And we see yeah. this play out in life all the time. Someone who loses loved one after loved one after loved one experiences yeah. tragedy after tragedy and just suddenly goes, I can't fucking do this anymore. I, yeah. if, if this is the God that's doing this to me, that if this is the God that's letting my life spiral like this, then I, I, I won't, I won't pray anymore. Why would I serve that kind of guy? Yeah, yeah. And that's what happens, right? It's like Job's wife says, like, just curse God and die. You know, like you miserable, miserable <laughs> bastard. Look at you. You're covered in boils. <laughs> yeah. What was Job left with after ever he lost everything and he was sick? Uh, he was left with his nagging wife, which yeah. we love about the Old Testament. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's very, very wife bad. It's like watching like <laughs> I Love Lucy or something. You know? It really is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny too. It's, I mean, it's not funny, but it's like that like, you know, when like God makes Job whole at the end of this little experiment, you know, it's like he gives him a new wife, a new, you know, I'm just like, so you're just treating your his wife like, sheep or cows or whatever you know they're just like another possession it's yeah. just like yeah he gets a trade up at the end of it. <laughs> right 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 yeah i'm so i think that the point ignoring the job mentioned because well i don't want to ignore it but um the the point of what james is saying here is that um that message this carried throughout jesus's teachings throughout paul's letters and his teachings um that suffering is inevitable. Suffering is, in a way, actually good for us because it it gives us this steadfastness. Because it gives us this resolute in our love for the Lord. And 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 like we're taught again and again that like Jesus is with us in our suffering. Like God is is there, listening and feeling it and mourning with us. Um, I'm, I you know I don't know. I still don't have an explanation for why. It is that God doesn't always fix all of this suffering that we have, but take it in stride because it is building you up and connecting you more to the Lord. I mean, Jesus suffered a great deal and uh, Jesus could have gotten out of it and didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, something else that's interesting too, is like when you have that Joe Black moment where you're like, fuck it, why am I just, why I can't go on, I can't do anything like this. We talk about Jesus like he was this sort of like powerhouse of faith. But like, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I'm sorry. It's not a declaration of faith. Oh. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's by any stretch of the imagination. You know. Yeah. Him praying in Gethsemane, he said, please don't do this. Like, this I don't want to do this. Yeah. Take it away from me. I don't want to do it, but fine. Yeah. If this is what you want, I'll do it. But man. Oh. Yeah, any other way. Yeah, it's like, and I felt that experience, obviously not to the point where like, you know, the fate of mankind was on my hands, but like in the sense of like, sometimes in life you run up against a situation that you can't avoid or dip, duck and dodge anymore. And it's like you, you're faced with having to do something that like you don't want to do and like there's just like a finality to certain situations and it's just like, okay, well, this is what it is. And it's like, you know, anytime something like that has happened in my life, I try to remember that a little bit. That's like, you know, you, you don't really, sometimes in life you don't really have a choice in the matter. And, and, you know, I guess, well, I guess you could just, you know, just run off in the woods or something like that. But like, yeah. I don't know. It's uh, I think about that a lot. I think about like how we just kind of put this premium on faith, but like doubt, we don't talk about doubt enough. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like we talk about the Easter story, you know, and it's like on Friday we say he's risen. It's like, no, no, he ain't, he ain't even in the ground yet. You know, and it's like <laughs> Friday, you know, he's crucified and Saturday. It's like, there's that deep, 
existential experience of God's dead, and it's not even clear if there's even going to be an Easter at all. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's what saves you. It's that Saturday like condition that saves you. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's what had to happen. And then you know Sunday, but we just want to hop right to Sunday. You know, it's like especially in this country where we just love a winner. You know, yeah. you know the, these days the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are. You know, the Lakers or whoever, you know. But like that's the the Easter story is not about a winner, you know, he goes down, you know. But the important part is they didn't stay there, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like putting yourself in the mind of the the apostles or James or someone who is a contemporary of Jesus, who is full throated, like behind Jesus saying, This is the guy, this is our Messiah, this is the one. And he gets killed and yeah. they, they put him in a cave. Yeah. And what's that like for you? You know yeah. what I mean? I've been following this guy through the desert. You know, we've been eating locusts and figs and shit. And <laughs> he just dies. He's just dead on us now. You know? <laughs> and then, then you get that moment. And that's what, I mean, that's exactly what James is saying here. Your suffering, your despair is, momentary because Jesus is coming back because the Lord will return. And because we will see in the end, the the day of like the salvation or the day of redemption. Um, You know, there's a lot of caveats there, but it is like, uh, it's it's a beautiful message. And it is one that is echoed again and again in, in earlier parts of the new Testament. It's easy to forget that like, while it seems like, a, a book of the Bible by the brother of Jesus would be a very important book. It is like nestled into the end of the new Testament. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's in a bunch of let. It's in a bunch of obscure letters. I mean, it's like, it, it's, it's like Titus and, and yeah, just, just Peter, best in Habakkuk yeah. and, you know, <laughs> Nahum for, <Yeah>. you know. <laughs> exactly. Like this should be a foundational text. This should be something that, that everyone should be studying all the time. And it's, yeah. it's something that I feel like doesn't even really get focused on all that much in, in, in regular Christian teaching. I can't tell you how I many wonder, I wonder if that I've was heard, like, but... uh, I wonder if that was like a sort of an, an intentional call when they were canonizing this thing. And they're like, well, it says a lot of things about wealth in there, but we can't really <laughs> leave it out because this is Jesus's <laughs> brother. So we just kind of slide it, you know, sort of under the radar a little bit. <laughs> maybe, maybe they're not going to notice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Um, this bit at the end in, in verse 12 uh, is, is interesting because, again, even in the same section here, the way it's cut apart in the ESV, it, it pivots again to not being a liar or not, not like, or to, to being an oath keeper, like being someone who is, is good to their word. It says, but above all, my brothers do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes. And your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. I'm not even sure really what that has to do with what he was saying earlier in this section. Yeah. It's, uh, is that? Hold on a second. And I'm assuming he doesn't say "do not swear," like "do not curse," "do not use foul language," which Paul actually talks about. But right, it doesn't and seem it's to be also a focus of James. Like, that's a little bit echoes of Matthew. I think it's five thirty-seven. You know, let your yes be a yes and your no be a no. The rest is the work of the devil, which I've always liked. I just think it's a 
not for any real reason other than it's just kind of a cool sentence. <laughs> but yeah, there are a lot of allusions to the Sermon on the Mount and and like early Jesus preaching in uh, in James. And they're yeah. they're not in the way that a lot of folks will refer to scripture in in the letters. Uh, they will use like a cut, you'll see like a cutout and be like, here's the verse that I'm referring to. Here's the thing that I'm talking about. But James like weaves it in to what he's saying in such a way that while it does feel abrupt in the way that he pivots his message, it is kind of fluid that you might not go, oh, this is something that I read before. It almost, it feels so organic. Yeah. Yeah, Um, totally. The last section of this is, um, is all about prayer. It's, it's like, this is a part of faith that I think a lot of people are less interested in, which has always baffled me. A lot of people will say they'll go to church, they'll, they'll, they'll read the Bible or they'll, they'll do their daily Bible verse or whatever, but you ask them about how they pray or, or what they pray or how they do it. And they don't really engage in, in the same way, but James's message, I think, in this last section is like clearly, no matter what is happening, pray or praise, pray or praise. It's the same thing. And, and you know, and it's it's funny because this is like I I didn't actually know this part was from James, but like I'm familiar with all these verses just because I come from a tradition where praying with the laying on of hands, particularly where like physical healing is like being hoped for, like like. You know, this is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing his head with oil. I'm reading from the King James here. I'm sorry. In, in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he's if he's committed any sins, then he'll be forgiven for him. And then this right here, I think, is like something that we used to go back to all the time in, in church is, you know, confess your sins one to another and pray you one for another that you may be healed. And this part in particular, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I mean, my mom probably, anytime I talk to her, she'll reference that. But I didn't know that. It was, I did not know that was in James 5 at all. Yeah, the, um, the ESV kind of stretches out the language a little bit. At 16, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Mm-hmm. Um which I thought was really, I mean, it, it really puts a lot of weight onto prayer, but it also kind of creates this conundrum where if everyone I know who's the most righteous person that I know that's praying, every single one is praying for this one thing and it still doesn't happen. What does that say? Yeah. Did, were we not righteous yeah. enough? Did we not pray hard yeah. enough? Did we not pray enough? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I think, um, I've seen a number of things growing up in the church I grew up in. Like I've seen, uh, you know, people don't believe me when I say this, but I have seen people come in and the doctor says, you have stage four or something. There's nothing we can do. That I have seen, I know people that were told that 20 years ago, they're still alive. You know what I mean? And then I know people that were like, Everybody felt real good about it. You know what I mean? Everybody like, oh, this is like a young person suffering from this like rare disease. And then they ended up dying. And then it's like, well, what what happened? Was the faith not there? Like, was, you know, did I not pray hard enough? Like, what happened? You know, and, you know, in my mind, I think all you can really make sense of that is like, you know, it rains on the just as well as the unjust, the scripture says. 
but also just the, you know, the nature of living in a broken world. Like, I, you know, it's, I, I myself, I, I don't know if there's any sort of spiritual component to all that, except for to say that like, you know, there is like sort of a, a, a mind connection, I think to like physical healing. I mean, we know this with like placebo studies when they're like doing drug trials, like, you know, some mm-hmm. people that get sugar pills get well yeah. through some combination of the power of suggestion or just because the immune system took care of it or whatever. You know, I, I don't know how I feel about all that kind of thing uh, as far as prayer goes, but I think it's interesting to 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 wrestle with that a little bit. Why do things we pray for not happen sometimes? And I, you know, I I don't know. It's above my pay grade. Yeah, right. If we knew, then we probably wouldn't be sitting here um, on a podcast talking about. That's right. It. That's right. That's right. But but I mean, I think that there is this um, psychosomatic, like even if you don't believe in God, right? Even if you don't have faith in this way, um, there is a connection to um, faith in that it enriches like this feeling in your body. I don't know if it's dopamine or or what it is that heals you in an unexplainable way or in a way that I can't explain because I'm not a biologist or whatever. Right. But- I feel like seeing the number of miraculous things that most of us see in our lives that we strictly have no explanation for. We have, we have no way of, of saying, well, yeah, this, it, that's easy. I mean, that, that was going to happen because this is, this is how our bodies work, or this is how um, this sickness gets healed. Um, seeing the number of things that we experience that is just like unexplainable. It can't strictly be, it can't strictly be just like, well, we believed in it and it made us feel good. So the cancer right. went away. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Talk to any like veteran doctor and they will tell you, yeah, like we see things that there's no sort of explanation for. Like people get better from things they should not have gotten better from. (laughs) Yeah. So. So the, the book ends with a call to evangelize, right? A call to like watch over your brothers and bring them back. And, and a lot of the letters do this. Um, and, and a lot of other parts of the New Testament do this, like, by the way, this isn't just a message to you to watch over, you know, to watch after yourself and your circle, but to anyone that you see that has fallen away. It says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So it's like this re- call to rebuke people. If you see them slipping away or uh, backsliding, I think is the Christianese uh, way that people, <laughs> yeah. people talk about it, but bring them back, you know, know that, let them know that they're loved and, and um, let them know that they're like, there's no sin that's too great to be overcome by like the love of God. What a beautiful message. Yeah. Yeah. Complicated. Very complicated. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, um, I like how this ends with like sort of uh, some instructions, though. I think, uh, you know, a lot of times, um, I mean, a problem I think I had as a young man just reading scripture was that like, and I think w- which is helpful in this discussion, you know, with you is I, I, I just, I never really knew like, you know, like historical reasons for why, like I, I didn't know that, 
you know, I know Paul's credited with like Romans and, and Hebrews, I think, and some others. Um, but like, I didn't know that when I was, you know, I thought this was just like, you know, just a bunch of Romans sitting around talking about the Bible or something or whatever. And I think, I think I like stuff like this where it's like you say, like you kind of te- teased it or teed it up with James. It's just like, he's just saying his, this is, this is where I land on the experience of being a Christian, of following Christ and, and this gospel and its application in our lives. And, uh, yeah, I think it's powerful, and I think it's, uh, yeah, from start to finish, I think it's probably my favorite chapter in, in the Scriptures. I uh, I think that anyone that hasn't read all of James yet should go read it now, but, like, I hope that our discussion here has been, um, it, at least in some way, helpful in understanding, like, what it is that's actually being said, because it does, it, it, it is a little murky at times, like anything, if you read four different translations of, uh, of the Bible, you will see at times four different messages. And we messages. did. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, we did. and not only that, but the, the mere fact that the book is called James and the source of the person that, that this is named after is actually closer to Jacob. It, <laughs> it's like there's no consensus on what the guy's name is. Even is. Yeah. If we can't even get the name right, let's leave open in our minds the possibility that there might be um, a multitude of, of different uh, meanings that lie in here. And, and always and forever, the underlying message under all of the different translations seems to be like, be good to each other. Don't, don't be cruel and, and don't hurt other people and just, just love each other because that's all, that's all that we're really called to do. And be rich at your own peril. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> have, have all that money, but enjoy the fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, this was this was really fun. I'm I'm really yeah, glad thank that you. Yeah, this is this I don't get to I don't get to to engage with this stuff uh, super often. Uh, on our show, I mean, I guess this is probably early pandemic. We did uh, a little mini series called Sunday Service, where we just kind of had some fun with it and did some music and other things, tried to recreate the experience of like going to church, but in the most ridiculous way possible. But uh, other than that, you know, I haven't really, we don't really get the the opportunity to really dig into this stuff. And I'm, and admittedly, I guess as most people can tell I'm a little bit rusty, but I, I appreciate, uh, appreciate the opportunity to, to do it because I love talking about these things. No, you are um, extremely well-versed and, and calling to certain verses uh, specifically is really impressive. I've been doing this show now for almost a year and I still feel like I get to different corners of scripture and I go, why haven't I read this before? <laughs> yeah, it's, well, yeah, it's the same. It's like, like even with this, it was like, oh man, this is just so new to me when, you know, my friend Lee had sent this to me. And then by the end of it, I was like, "Oh yeah, wait, yeah, I've 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 dealt with this. I before. know this. One. <laughs> but I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but now nah, this is this is great. I appreciate you having me for sure. Do you um do you want to plug any uh, websites or socials or anything? I'll I'll put all your links into the the episode. Uh, yeah, I mean, I uh, just you know um, I do uh, the True Billies podcast and. You know, you can follow us on Twitter at the Trillbillies. And, uh, you know, uh, if you 
feel so inclined, our Patreons, patreon.com slash trillbillyworkersparty. And uh, coming in October, I have a um, a podcast I'm doing with um, – <laughs> Probably funny to plug this on a Bible study podcast, but I'm doing a podcast with Gangsta Boo from the rap group Three Six Mafia. Uh, it's <laughs> wow. about we're getting people um, to um, tell us, like you know, stories about a time when they were like really afraid. Yeah, you know, it could be a ghost story, it could be you know just something weird that happened to them or whatever. Uh, but we got like a lot of guests really special guests and really great storytellers lined up for that. And I'm really kind of excited about it. So we're going to put that out during the, you know, Halloween time and all that. So. What an awesome idea. That sounds really cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I usually, um, oh, before I, I do the sign off here, um, we, I mentioned this on the last episode, but I started a Patreon and it was something that I did not begrudgingly, but something that I did because a lot of people had asked me to do so. Um, I had always started from the show, from the get-go saying, I'm never going to monetize this. It's not about me. It's about Jesus and so on and so forth. But ultimately I had enough people reach out to me that say, uh, to say that they wanted a little more content or they wanted some other way to engage with the show that I started one. Um, the, the, uh, the address is, uh, patreon.com backslash trans regret Snoopy. Um, so check it out if you want to, it was, um, it was an adventure to start. We have a very cool discord group now with a bunch of people that are, uh, you know, talking with each other about, uh, scripture and sending memes and pictures of their dinner and, and their pets and, and all kinds of things. It's really sweet. We're going to start, I think, doing a biweekly Bible study in that group. The first one is going to be tomorrow, uh, Wednesday, the fourth, but that will be before this even comes out. So uh, keep an eye on that or sign up for it. And um, and yeah, I usually read a poem at the end of every episode. Um, it's from William Blake. Uh, it is um, sort of subtitled, I Rose Up at the Dawn of Day. I rose up at the dawn of day, get thee away, get thee away, prayest thou for riches, away, away, this is the throne of mammon gray. Said I, this sure is very odd. I took it to be the throne of God. For everything besides I have, it is for riches only that I can crave. I have mental joy and mental health and mental friends and mental wealth. I have a wife I love and that loves me. I've all but riches bodily. I'm in God's presence night and day. And he never turns his face away. The accuser of sins by my side does stand. And he holds my money bag in his hand. For my worldly things, God makes him pay. And he'd pay more if to him I would pray. And so you may do the worst you can do, but be assured, Mr. Devil, I won't pray to you. Then if for riches I must not pray, God knows I little of prayers need say. So as a church is known by its steeple, if I pray, it must be for other people. He says, if I do not worship him for a God, I shall eat coarser food and go worse shod. So as I don't value such things as these, you must do, Mr. Devil, just as God please. Thanks, everybody. To obey is better than sacrifice. I don't need your money. I want your life. And I hear you say that I'm coming back soon. But you act like I'll never return
how you thrive on milk, but reject my meat, and I can't help weeping at how it will be if you keep on ignoring my word. Well, you pray to prosper. Your flesh is something 